0: Tuning into Power Athlete Radio. This week's episode with Julian Pinot wastes absolutely no time diving into the issues of training and organizing programming to expose athletes' weaknesses. A passionate Pinot explains the balance of internal and external rotation as the perfect marriage. The goal is for that marriage to result in a beautiful, performance enhancing baby named Torque. Then that baby grows up, kicking everyone's ass, and getting plenty of chicks. The education never ceases at Power Athlete HQ and thanks to Julian, a fellow performance junkie, we are constantly evaluating the way we perceive movement. Hear how Julian consistently refers to the end game using chess as the perfect metaphor for movement and performance. With each chess piece serving a specific purpose, it's impossible to ignore their importance particularly when the end of the game is near. All this and tales of a mutual friend, George Zangas, round out this meeting of the minds. This is episode 179.
1: Power Athlete Nation, it is Luke. John is here. Texas is over there on the screen in Texas in some sort of art room, right?
2: Uh, yeah, my sister's
1: a professional artist, but neither here nor there. Let's, let's roll. John and uh, John and I are in Newport Beach. We're in the office ge- getting it real steamy, and we are ready to give you another episode of Power Athlete Radio, the uh, premier, premier podcast in strength and conditioning. and conditioning. You heard it there. That's synchronized talking that makes it even more official.
3: Well, it's true. It's because we both have been brainwashed enough to know it's a reality.
1: Yeah, that's right. Uh, first couple public service announcements. Um, getting certs up for 2017, So, and the certs have moved. We are now... From CrossFit Football Seminar, we are the sports-specific specialty application. Go to PowerAthleteHQ.com slash events to see the new events popping up in your area. Um, I don't know, Bree, you want to give a little brief 30-seconder about what's new?
3: Yeah, um, for those of you guys that have been living in a, you know, under a bridge and haven't necessarily been plugged into the internet, we ended up... Uh, you know
1: there's other sites besides no, ours. No,
3: it's just us, everybody lives <laughs> in our world, right? Um, You know, we started CrossFit football in 2009 and the program was, you know, wildly successful and we taught it on every continent and we were able to have a seminar series associated with CrossFit. And we, geez, we taught hundreds of these things to thousands of athletes from the Arctic circle down to New Zealand. And um, after a bunch of years, we decided that we needed to do some rebranding and really reskin and give the seminar a more accurate name of what it had evolved into. And the seminar had evolved much more past, what we were teaching for CrossFit football, so with um, you know, put our heads together with uh, the mothership and came up with uh, CrossFit sports specific application. No sports. sports pe- sorry, the CrossFit specialty seminar sports specific application. Yes, it's very important. Very important that branding <laughs> piece. And when we rebranded the seminar for SSA, we had CrossFit football hanging out there, and obviously you know we do on the backside the power athlete, and really that's where our what I like to call our bread and butter and our really the magic happens where we can really get in and execute and coach and do the things we want to do. So we had to figure out what to do with a uh, cross of football. So my vote was to shut it down, put up a gun fishing sign and uh, go fuck yourself. Mm-hmm. And Luke was like, I don't know if that's the best idea. So we had this deal called project mayhem mm-hmm. where we asked, people to submit an email for the workout. And I figured we took it over and under, I thought I was gonna get 50 emails with up. No, like
1: 300 was probably. I, I,
3: I think I said 12 originally.
1: Well the theory, theory was 10% of the people
3: were posting daily. right? Yeah, and there was like
1: 20 to 30 comments. Or so, like
3: even 12 to 18. So I yeah. figured you know, maybe 150, a couple hundred people at most. So we yeah. were gonna get some emails. We ended up getting like 4,000 emails yeah. of yeah. people yeah. wanting the workout, And at that point, I was like, dude, it's a lot of people hanging out there, coming out. So but in the four.
1: grand scheme of thing, what about the whole population of the world?
3: Really, is
1: four thousand that many?
3: No, it's not. But if you think about us cultivating a, I know, I'm just you know, like like you know, tending the garden and looking at those you know guys coming for us sure. for information sure. and workouts. Uh, I don't like to abandon people. You know, my deal of I'd leave no man behind, and so we needed a way to rebrand. And come up with something, and so after some uh, vision quest and a little bit of searching, um, I came on the fact that it would be really funny to do some puns with the term "wad" and related it back to Johnny Wad. Mm-hmm. So we reskinned it with a kind of a cool '70s, '80s porn vibe <laughs> to uh, hence the Johnny Wad, and um, ended up kind of pulling off some stuff with it, so we've uh, morphed CrossFit football into Johnny Mod. The programming on yeah. the
1: site. Now, the seminar, what's a little different is we've gone deeper into programming. Sprint progressions are a little different, yeah. so if you've been to the seminar, it, it has evolved a little bit further, yeah, I, and we've taken it off of kind of this uh, CrossFit vibe to more of its performance, its yeah. sport, pure sport now, and
3: well, athleticism. Well, the, the opening talk really really broaches the subject of what the whole seminar is about, and Really what I've come to realize that after you know this second career that I've started after my NFL deal ended and now that I've gone into this other direction, the idea of fostering athleticism, and my belief that through training you can not only develop athletes but develop athleticism. And mm-hmm. all things being equal, the more athletic a person is, the better they will do. And so really breaking down and defining athleticism allowed us to go back and start developing a program to foster athleticism. And even in the initial talk, what is athleticism? And really this weekend, Tex and I uh, did it for the first time or taught the first SSA seminar and really had that conversation with people. Uh, I think that we hit them in the face of the fire hose because we asked them to think about some concepts and really just think about things that they had never really assessed. Because um, lot, for a lot of people's perception, athleticism is kind of like either you're good-looking or not. You're either athletic or you're not. Right. And if you're good-looking or if you're not good-looking, there's nothing you can really do other than through some Photoshop and you know uh, distance and darkness and drunkness to really have <laughs> to go through that, which is actually Luke's entire game plan. Distance, it really is. Distance, darkness and drunkness. Yeah, yeah, Wait, um, let we, me back up. Yep, you're yeah, the one. you're the one. if I'm <laughs> looking at yeah. you. But, you know, so people have this kind of, uh, you know, you either have it or you don't, and then when you start talking about athleticism and being an athlete and everything, all of a sudden people kind of go into this, uh, practice, like um, uh, almost, like, it takes them back to third grade getting picked last in dodgeball because they were the worst. Yeah. And yeah. so people have Going this- Going like, to their shell, like yeah, the fear of it. Yeah. They have this little fear about the conversation. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, part of the thing and I think, while you know, what we run into is that, you know, we always joke that the, de- the best trick the devil ever played was convincing the world that he didn't exist. The best trick the devil ever played was convincing the world that if you go hard, that is equal to athleticism. Right, right. And we know that just going hard and doing as hard as you want or doing a workout as fast as you want isn't necessarily athleticism. Because it only gets you so far. It only gets you so far. And then we talked about you know fitness and athleticism being mutually exclusive, mm-hmm. that you, you can be an incredible athlete and be terribly unfit. You can be have uh, massive amounts of fitness and be the fittest dude on the planet and be a terrible athlete, right. but it just so happens if we can foster athleticism and develop fitness, then Bing, bang, we should be able to do that. And then, you know, and really the uh, <laughs> the other big conversation we had was about speed. You know, uh, um, you don't necessarily have to be the best athlete to be fast. You don't have to have fitness to be fast, but speed is that universal equalizer Yeah. where you might be a little smaller. You might not be as good of a player or this and that, but if you're fast, you're fucking fast. Yeah, you can outperform. So, so then we talk about how to develop speed and really guide. You know, what is athleticism? How to develop athleticism, and then also how to develop speed and components of speed, strength, and power, and whatever. And so, uh, I was invigorated, really excited with how the seminar uh, went down, and. I think people really dug it, and um, I think it's just an evolution of the natural step of where CrossFit football took us and the conversation we're having now, which is a different conversation in 2016 than when I started in 2009. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, Julian, who we – Well, yeah, a let me, let me, let me I, pop I know, in
1: real quick. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so this is a beautiful thing because a common thread between the athleticism and the speed is movement, right? And we are we are absolutely thrilled to have Julian Pinot on who is uh, – movement specialist, Invictus coach, he's got his strong fit thing blowing up. And uh, and we were talking before the show, John, like every seminar I'd say in the past, in the past four or five months that I've been on, someone brings up Julian. And they're like, you've got you to cross paths with this guy. You guys are preaching the same method. Uh, you're going to learn so much from one another. So I guess, Julian, going back to what John was saying, like when we talk about athleticism, it's about seamless and effortless movement through all planes of motion, right? Yep. And what, you, what we were talking about before the show is – People cannot move through all planes. They specialize in one pattern through one plane of motion, and that becomes their default, which is
3: robbing from their athleticism. Well, and, but you also have to remember that if your training program looks like nothing but bilateral hip hinge, moving in a, you know, saginal plane, and, you know, nothing you ever do is in a transverse plane, you know, you rarely (laughs) ever do, you know, X, Y, and Z, or um, Z and Y axis, um, (laughs) then is it, Really, the fault of the person. So, like,
1: no, they we, just don't know any better. Yeah. But before we jump, before uh, we get we'll, into, we'll let's let Julian
3: introduce we'll, himself. How about? Yeah. That. Let me just finish this one thought, and then I'm not going <laughs> to talk to the rest of the, uh, <laughs> the rest of this thing. We talked at the seminar, and a huge thing for me is uh, opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, that's entered. Like, um, that's something I developed over the last couple of years. This idea, whenever I talk to people about, you know, how they developed this or how they developed as an individual, it was always came back to they provided this opportunity. Uh, to do it. And then we talked to Greg length about the seminar and I was really able to weave that in as this common thread being like, if you have only done, you know, and a guy asked, well, why can't I do this? And I'm like, well, have you ever been shown this? Have you anybody ever talked to this? Have you ever had an opportunity to learn this or coach this or be coached or do any of these things? And he said, no. And I'm like, well, yeah. then why would you naturally assume that you could do it? And he's like, well, I've met a bunch of people that could naturally do this. And I'm like, well, now you're talking about people have a different athletic intelligence yeah. and uh, physical intelligence. And like, you know, it's kind of um, why is it that my one daughter at two years old had like a thousand word vocabulary and my other daughter had like 50 words. Mm-hmm. And so you like kind of think about it and certain people have a better vocabulary of human movement and they develop it at different rates. The thing is, is we can get everybody there with work. We just have to identify where you're at and then start building progression to get you there so opportunity all right
1: julian julian now the floor is yours my man after you know an hour already of talking but uh if people haven't heard of you give them the pitch like we said two hour two minute whatever you want to do i i
4: i don't pitch like i just want to talk about everything john talked about i'm a movement specialist and so my goal is to create a system to uh assess and approach everything john talked about because like um we all know the problem with crossfit being a sagittal plane but there's a bunch of stuff missing in the programming. So what I want me is to, have, to establish a system where we can analyze any training system. Like, so I have a box, right? And then if I can, if I put the training system in the box, right away I can see where the imbalances are. So I like to use the box because you have to balance the box otherwise. So I have an analogy, like there's a box in the shaft, right? The box has four corners. If the box is in balance, hits the shaft, you get injured. So to make the, the box or up in the shaft, you have to put uh, stress in it, like favorable response to stress, which is called homesis That's good programming, but so you cannot put programming bigger than the box in you know, a way. So the key is let's balance the let's balance the box correctly. And so, to me, I have four corners of the box. One of the corners is the planes of movement we were talking about, right? Like if you work everything in a sagittal plane, you, obviously you're going to create a certain number of issues that you were saying. But so, for me, the first corner of the box is what is movement. It's either a load, a carry, or a a hold. Uh, You see that in a lot of training also, where uh, they're in in that sense. Like if you look at CrossFit, it's always loading. Outside of the CrossFit games, you don't see any carries, you don't see any holding, holding for balancing to, uh, you know, gymnastic hold, stuff like that. And then the second corner of the box was the planes of movement, and how important it is to hit, and even like the medium plane, for example, like to work left versus right. How important that is, and it's lacking in most CrossFit programs. Then the um, the third corner of the box were all the energy systems, and the fourth corner of the box was all the uh, types of contraction, which to me uh, is very very important because certain muscle, like you know, evolution one one, uh, we we, we given a, a body that is that function a certain way. There are certain guidelines, certain rules we have to follow. And if you look, like certain muscles seems to have primary functions. So, more a type of contraction than another and that's something we have to respect. If I look at the obliques, for example, the primary function of the obliques is to make sure your spine doesn't snap when you turn too fast, building the brakes correctly. So, that means more, more toward eccentric contraction, right? That would be the first role of the obliques through evolution. And yet, most people train obliques through uh, concentric, never building the brakes correctly. So, that's going to lead into problem and so, my entire thing is to build like, like a system so we can start listing the inconsistencies of a program so we can move past that.
1: No, you're right on in taking it into, I guess, a performance perspective, just jumping into what you said, obliques. That is one of the things that we see as a huge limiting factor for people when we go mm-hmm. into shuttle runs and teaching them how to plant the lower extremities of their body in, in kinetic alignment to abruptly reduce force so you can use that force to go the other way but they're not used to the isometrics or eccentrics of inertia pushing them over the top. And they end up rolling ankles, falling over, stumbling, looking like assholes. And we point back to like, hey, we were just doing side pillars and none of you could hold a side pillar for more than 10 seconds. We expect you can handle that.
3: That force. Well, it, it, it's almost like the something got lost in the conversation where you develop through stability through isometric contractions, and then once you develop stability, it's like the uh, analogy. I, I, one of people I were asking me, well, be specific. Well, how many you can jump up and hold into a ring dip, and just hold it in an isometric contraction at the top? Yeah, at, at the top, just perfect, complete balance, stay in a nice hollow position, make everything perfect. And people are like, yeah, so I'm like, well, how long can you do it? And then, you know, and, I, and we, we've tested it and had people jump up, and maybe they can do it for three or four seconds. And sh- yeah, sh- and then they started shaking. Out. And I was like, how many of you guys looked and said, you know what, I'm going to develop stability with a straight arm and this complete, perfect isometric contraction before I bend my arm and start doing eccentric concentric? Mm-hmm. Not a single person. And I'm like, how can you expect to actually master uh, an eccentric concentric movement if you can't develop stability in an isometric Yeah, at the end range, right? Yeah, I mean, think, <laughs> think about how many people you've seen squat, like, Carry the bar, from they step back and hold the bar in a heavy loaded position. You know, pull their top rib down, squeeze their butt, show a perfect position before they descend into the squat. I watch people pick up a bar where I thought there's no fucking way they're going to be able to squat this because they can't even maintain posture and position under load, mm-hmm. and then they fucking somehow squat it, and I'm like, that is so ass. Aspect- backwards to me that's why we did heavy walkouts and that's why you know like he's saying like heavy carries or heavy loads being able to load the spine and be able just to create stability with some frontal or even you know backside load so it's um it's it's as if the they just didn't talk about that and you know part of the thing is um it's hard to I guess you could say it's hard to quantify power I guess you could say if we look at it like horsepower with isometric directions Mm -hmm. but yet we know for training I mean those are are fundamental towards developing stability right yes so that that was the problem is you can't
4: really do it with numbers so that's why I was doing it more from a box perspective because then if I look at a training system and I say okay you have no load you have no carries no hold, right if I go through let's say CrossFit you look at the type of contract of contraction it's always concentric Mm -hmm. so I'm gonna look at all the muscles that primary function are eccentric or isometric and I know they're not going to be developed. So you look at hammies, you look at, you know, the lats, stuff like that. You go like, okay, so the lack of frontal plane means there's no lats. So when they carry overhead, they have to shrug. And so you, suddenly you are able to, do, to make certain predictions based on that model going like, if your system does this, it allows me to know that you're not going to be able to do that. And so that's how I analyze this based on the system. Because to me, the biggest difference between, the main difference between faith and science is the ability to make predictions. And so for me, the idea was to build a model that I can use to make predictions on how people are going to move. And if I can do that, then I know I'm right in the way I look at it. And so that was the entire idea about the box. It was to list the muscle, uh, looking at primary functions, and look if you're training them correctly. If you're not, then I know you're going to be faulty in certain patterns. And then after I look at the plans of movement, the carries and everything, that allows me to see whatever, whatever the problem is. And so far, it has allowed me to fix athletes, just looking at that model, put in, putting them through the box.
1: Now, Julian, I know uh, just kind of word of mouth that you have a pretty jiggy diagnostics system or approach. So when you're, when you're going through and you're, you're putting these people in the proverbial box, like what tools are you using to identify it? Are you just watching them do a workout or do you have a preferred set of uh, movements? Okay.
4: So, okay, so let me explain exactly how the system works. Um, it's a, I'm gonna use chess as an analogy. Like you guys know off
3: chess, right?
1: Uh, You've yeah. played it once or twice, yeah, there you go. Yeah, I've lost- Plenty of times.
3: Yeah, no, yeah. my ass this weekend. I haven't played in about 10 years and oh, yeah? I forgot all the rules. You're a checkers guy? Well, I, I, just, I used to play chess and for some reason I was drawing a blank and uh, <laughs> I was looking at my phone trying to get the rules just getting butchered I'm like, god damn it, I got cool uh, to okay. right, go. on, go on. So, um,
4: chess has three, uh, three parts if you want. They have the openings, the middle game and the end game. That's the part of, of chess. So, beginners, they always want, want the openings but it's because uh, it's easier like you learn the, the game really fast and then you can make your friends and and make progress right away and everybody's happy. The problem with that is uh, opening is just memorization. You don't understand the true nature of chess just, just by memorizing position because every time you face a position you haven't memorized, you screw. And uh, the middle game is more like toward the strategy of it like how to uh, once you reach a certain stage in the game and how to get the pieces to move together and everything. The problem is um, the true way to learn about um, about chess, the true nature of chess, is in the endgame, where you're going to take every piece separately and test them to see their strength and weaknesses. So it's like a king and a pawn. That's when you're going to learn really the power of a pawn or a king and a bishop. So the idea for me was to try to narrow movement down to to the each individual piece, so I could understand their strength and weaknesses. Right. So. So, to our training, that would be like the opening is programming, right? That's memorization. That's the part everybody loves. That's the fancy stuff you put on the whiteboard. But it's not the true nature of movement. And teaching technical work, that would be the middle game. But there is still an end game we don't talk about. And so, to me, my entire thing in the last few years was trying to figure out the end game. The end game is rotation. It's how to create tension. Rotation as in torque like every movement starts with tension, starts with torque, right? Like if you look at a rope, a rope is stronger twisted than straight. So, uh, it's all about creating torque. Torque you either create by rotating externally or internally, either at the hip or at the shoulder, right? You're going to, let's say if you want to pull an object toward you, upper body, you're going to have to crank externally, which means you have to engage like almost without rotating the humerus, but creating tension, to be able to engage your lat fully to pull, right? If I think about pushing, then it's the other way, it's internal rotation. Like where I'm gonna engage the, uh, the chest all the pressing muscles, that's gonna make me naturally is to have internal rotation. You're thinking punching, you're thinking gymnasts. Gymnasts on an iron cross, they always, always internally rotate because that's all pressing movement in order to engage the chest. The larger muscle, you have to internally rotate. So if you look at movement like this, it's either an internal or an external rotation. So the key was, to me was to divide the movements into one or the other. So you have four loading patterns. You have a pull, a push, a squat and a hinge. So a pull is an external rotation, right? Whereas a push is more toward internal rotation. So right away that presents a problem because what is a, a catch on the snatch? Is that a snatch? Is that a pull or is that a push?
3: We'd be pushing. Yeah, We be a push. Yeah.
4: OK. So that means you're catching it internally rotated. OK. How is that taught most of the time?
3: Active shoulders, uh, I guess. Well, actually, it should be taught as a rotation this way, so you can see your lats this way, but people end up doing this in the external rotation, okay. and then they fact, you can
4: show your lats and be internally rotated. The problem is if you turn like this, like you just did, you engage your lat, but you disengage your chest okay so you're going to show your lats and you're going to push forward so now you got your lats and your chest activated now you're internally rotated so i'm not talking about rotating the full bone completely that would be displacement you actually would lose the torque at the chest the key is you're going to engage your lat and then engage your chest by pushing forward and that's an internal rotation if you look that's going to be uh, what the chinese lifter look like when they snatch yeah yeah so the key is not to turn fully
3: well, yeah, I mean, if you watch those guys, they, uh, they end up kind of stacking the lat over the rib, and then it's hard exactly. that they take the bar and they, like, uh, create, I guess you could say, like, a fulcrum where they're driving this way, but they're actually doing here, so they try to sandwich it, and then and that's how they really get into that strong, stable position and they have to fix back angle. Uh, the problem becomes in a lot of American people they really struggle with trunk stability and they can't sit mm-hmm. in their hips. So, then to be able to naturally sit in this position to create torque, they can't do it and they end up getting here and then they dump back and then they have to externally rotate their position because exactly. they have the ability and the strength to sit within the position they need to be. So, let I me. Mean, but- yeah, oh, yeah, I no, 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 like but so you know that. I agree
4: with you completely. But if you look at a,
3: at a problem with that, that
4: means you want that connection short head of the bicep pec to be as strong as possible, right? So if you never work that, you're gonna have to go to external rotation in order because you have, but that suddenly you're loading your T spine like crazy. You have to lean forward, that makes the trunk stability even worse. And so if you don't understand the end game, the rotation, you can't teach it properly from the beginning. And so if you cut corners, and you start externally rotated because it's easy, you're going to end up down the line with the, uh, you either feed the problem or you fix it. So now you're feeding the problem more and more and more. But you can't explain that to someone until they understand the end game, what the piece is. And the piece is internal rotation to engage the chest that lines up everything properly.
3: What, uh, what we found over the years is that The people, most people that we work with are kind of similar to water in that if you pour water, it'll always find its level, it'll always find downhill. So, what happens is you ask people to do. (coughs) Sorry. Um, People. want to execute or execute these movements. And these are complex movements. Like this is a complex problem. I mean, uh, you watch person do a snatch for example. I mean, here, there, they're loading their hamstrings in this position They're pushing their knees back. I mean, they're using this bar relation. I mean, it's a, it's basic. If you think about it from like the idea of snatching a rock overhead to slam it, like one. but the minute that you take a bar and you start putting these positions, it gets more complex. And the problem becomes that they haven't developed the movement patterns necessary to tie them together because just jump in and we're going to teach you to do this. And so what you're seeing, and I'm sure you fucking have noticed this, is people are trying to do something more complex than they have necessarily built the pieces to build this complex. And so so we're having to go back and say, hey, you can't do this. And the reason that you can't do this is because one, nobody's ever taught you, but you've never been forced to put in this position and to get exactly. in position, you had to develop all of these pre existing or uh, prerequisite steps to just get you there. So you, what you're trying to do and, and um, dude, I'm, I'm as I'm listening to it, I'm figuring that this is what we do where we see what you're doing and you're like, back it up let's break all these pieces down and get back to this starting place yeah mobility which,
1: stability yeah mm-hmm. i mean <laughs> it's,
3: efficiency yeah i mean the the big one too is um mobility without stability is what
4: well okay wait wait wait. So, wait, So because <laughs> exactly but wait wait, because there's an the entire thing so i'm going to get to that so for me the key is so if you can't internally rotate it properly because of lack of mobility i can't teach you how to snatch so to me the key is always i'm going to have to Develop an exercise to teach internal rotation before you can snatch properly, otherwise you'll never snatch. And so that's the thing I did, was to create, uh, to create exercises that I call the openers to facilitate internal or external rotation so people can have mobility. But what is mobility? Flexibility is range of motion. Mobility is the capacity to the range of motion while maintaining torque. Yep. that's what mobility is so it's ne- the problem is never a range of motion the problem is always can you maintain torque at that range of motion
3: sure I mean so we, people
4: externally rotate on the snatch because they can't maintain internal rotation at that range of motion we, so if I can teach you better internal rotation I will increase your mobility
3: we, we had a uh, years ago when I owned a gym we had um, these uh, People from a yoga deal wanted to swap out with us. They were like, "Oh, we'd love to come in and teach some yoga." I'm like, "That's great. Uh, you know, I'm happy to do your yoga stuff. You got to come do some training with us." These guys were all we had. Uh, four of them all come in. You know, super flexible yogi type yeah. people. I mean, this was their whole deal. The more amazing thing was, uh, not a single one of them had any range of motion, even though they could sit in a squat position, do all these, had great mobility or flexibility. The minute that we put them under load, whether it be yeah. a deadlift, whether it be a squat, whether it be any type of load, they instantly had no ability to get anywhere near full range of motion. They couldn't maintain posture position. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, I've watched you guys sit in a perfect squat. Like, I've watched you guys do all these different things. The minute I put 65 pounds on your back, you could not do it. And they were even a little upset. They were like, why is it? I'm like, you can't maintain stability under load, so your body's not allowing you to get to full range of motion. And yeah,
4: because they can't maintain the proper torque. Because, I mean, if you increase range of motion, you decrease torque. Yep. So when I increase load, I decrease the torque, therefore I decrease mobility. So to me, I look at Olympic lifting, well, gymnastics, powerlifting, I just do an exercise of mobility.
3: Yep.
4: So the key is, for me, is always going back to the end game, is can I increase, let's say, on force snatch overhead, can I increase internal rotation? So when I look at an athlete, that's what I look at. I'm like, can you maintain internal rotation? Because if you can't, I don't care what you do, it's wrong. Even if you look perfect, it's still wrong. Because inside, you're not... Creating the proper torque. But so, by the way, so squat and a hinge. A squat on the way up is an external rotation to engage the quads. So, what's a hinge then?
3: Well, the hinging it would be of the hips. I mean, if we were to drive, like we teach, like if I were to drive a steel spike through your hips and you're building a exactly. bilaterally hip hinge, which is hinging, which is pretty much everything from deadlifting to squatting to kipping pull ups to a kettlebell swing to. So, which rotation? It's everything. I mean. Yeah. Uh, nine or 99 100% of what we see in terms of why we walk into any gym is going to be some form of bilateral hip hinging mm-hmm. you know and so, so which
4: rotation is that
3: should be internal it should be exactly
4: and so how many people set up the deadlift internally rotated 99% no
3: no 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 uh, nice. they should they but they don't wait 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 you said how, uh, what's that? how do they set up oh. right externally rotate yeah
4: yeah. Yeah. They're all setting up externally rotated on their deadlift. Yes. But so the key, for example, like, uh, so this is what, when people tell me, let's say they do GHG sit up and hurt their back. Okay? So how am I going to look at it? What's a GHG sit up? Oh, well, that's a hinge. That's a hinge. So you should be internally rotated. Did you ever see someone do a GHG sit up internally rotated?
3: um well we do i mean but we yeah have i know rotation. but they do so, don't, right? so
4: what happens when they externally rotate they kill the swivel they well, kill the swivel the they reason, do a back selection extension
3: the reason they do it is because they to internal internally rotate you have to have glute and back strength so what they do and i want the comment i made about water finding its level is yeah. that people end up cheating the movement pattern to favor what they can do which is of course turning the toes out then they're using yeah. the hip flexor and the oblique and the lower qua- and the, the lower bonus, so then it allows but, them to do it yeah although of course i agree with
4: that but to break about habit they have to understand what is it's not enough to tell him you're doing it wrong you have to tell him how to do it right exactly. and so they do have a bad patterns but to me the key to fix bad patterns is to understand where it starts yeah. And it starts by the fact that they externally rotated, therefore killing the swivel because flexion extension is what they're good at, sure. and that's why their back hurts. So, whenever people are getting hurt, I always look at the movement pattern based on internal or external rotation to see if the pattern is correct. And so, by now, breakdown like that is allowing me to do, uh, to, to look at an athlete and get to, uh, um, to, to look at what the problem is in a much simpler way,
3: sure.
4: So, I always Go toward, for me, that's the end game, is which rotation are you using because uh, if I can so if I can teach people to internally rotate correctly, then chances are when they go to the next movement, it's going to be a lot easier to, to go, for example, for a GHD sit-up. I've had people that could not do a sit-up without back pain in the same session just by showing them how to crank to one internal rotation, taking most of the stress away from their back. Because mm. it's not like we all know why, but I have to find a way to get people that are not necess- necessarily the one percent to do it correctly. Yeah. And by teaching them the end game, where the rotation is, that has simplified my life so much. Because mm. otherwise, I can teach them how to deadlift, and they might look good, but they are doing it wrong.
3: Sure. And so no, it, it, it makes totally by
4: understanding sense. rotation, it was the key.
3: No, I mean the the one thing we run into, and and uh, it sounds like by a leading idiot is uh you get butt hurt. Like, you're like, you're doing this. For, well, I you know, this is I've been coached, and people really glob onto it. But, I mean, e, even when we teach our, you know, our squat, our toes forward model, knee tracking on the instep, and even this weekend, uh, you know, the look of pretty amazing to see the look on people's faces. And we had a, a text brought in a girl who is a strength coach for Georgetown. And uh, I watched her initial squat. I had to fix it, I had it, fixed it uh, to how I wanted it. All of a sudden, she was getting doms as she was squatting five reps. She's like, my mm-hmm. legs are getting sore. I've never felt well, my, my hamstrings and my quads. When not be yeah. instant onset? I, I, well, well, that's what I said. Hands. I was like, I, <laughs> the only time I ever got doms uh, during a set was when we were doing a uh, 20-rep squat. And I, I think I was at like 415, and I got to number 17, and my legs got so sore, I ended up like fucking collapsing.
2: Mm-hmm. But, but um, she, she was also thinking the big picture, like the, the end game, like Julian's talking about versus yeah. a squat for a squat.
3: Yeah, she, I mean, she sent me an email that was really nice. She's like, honestly, I learned more in a weekend than I did uh, with all the certifications, everything I did. She's like, I, you know, nobody really talks about these complex movement patterns and necessarily why they do them. We just, we squat this way. Well, why do you squat this way? Well, that's the most efficient for what? You know, and I put up the biggest number. And speaking
1: speaking of numbers, did you give her Texas number? I forgot. Uh, The future Mrs. Tex
3: McQuilkin? I thought she could be the future Mrs. Tex McQuilkin. Uh, Long con. She hopefully she doesn't listen.
2: To this guys, come on.
3: <laughs> I met her. I, I text. I met her. She seemed like a really nice girl, and she was cute. I was like, text. I'm like, this girl's great. I mean, you can bring never... this girl under your wing and brought her. You're just
1: of his right now. But... <laughs> I've never seen Tex blush so much on the podcast.
3: Oh come
4: on, guys! You're just killing the poor guy.
3: <laughs> he just he just hung up. <laughs> that's that's our goal. I mean, you know, if we ever get yeah, that, exactly to land the blow. On him. <laughs> did he really hang
1: up? No, I think he just muted his video. Yeah, there you go. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'm yeah. almost blushing well, for him. Well, no, I mean what's great is we got a French guy on him. Mean, you can I mean, you know, the French, I mean, isn't it about love and passion? I mean, he can probably give you Hold on, worry, man. You know?
4: Well, that's that's why I win the seminars it's my French accent that does it
3: I was gonna say I mean you, you know what I'm sure people take uh criticism better from people like uh with foreign accents mm-hmm. where I always think like you know you watch all these movies and like you know the English guy is like the evil dude you kind of root for me like is it the English accent is it the French accent like,
4: you
3: know no, when I say you suck they go like yeah but
4: that's cute the way you say it yeah, exactly
1: and then when we say you suck they're like I'm telling on you I'm gonna write a negative review that you were mean to me I'm like oh
3: god on the uh, oh <laughs>
1: Uh, what were we talking about? No idea. Kelly, that's an optional then, edit out. I would imagine that so, we're going to keep that in. But we're,
2: we're talking about reverse engineering movement from the yes. game and now teaching the movements and working towards the program. Well, yeah. let's do
4: it. Let's talk about it. Well, uh, okay. So yeah. let me use an example. Let Let me use an example real quick because that's something people don't think about that much. So the bicep is a very interesting muscle. The bicep can help for, so you have the long head of the bicep that helps for external rotation, which is a pull, and the short head of the bicep that helps to have internal rotation, that is a push. So, if you do a bicep curl to have external rotation, you're helping the pull. If you do a bicep curl to have internal rotation, you help the push. So, the problem with that is if I send my athlete to do a bicep curl to help on a bench press or a snatch, and she does it with the wrong rotation, she's making the problem worse so it's not what you do it's how you do it the entire key of this for me was it's not enough to tell people like this, so we work like go do bicep curl okay but which one the one that's going to help you pulling or the one that's going to help you pushing because depending if you're internally or externally rotated it changes everything so that's why you see power naturally going toward the hammer curls to help on the bench press because the hammer curls goes toward internal rotation so if you don't understand the purpose of rotation, you can do a bicep curl and actually fuck up your snatch. Whereas if you do it correctly, you will actually help the snatch. So again, it's not it's not what you do, it's how you do it. So if we don't go through the end game, people cannot will never understand how to do what we want them to do correctly. So that's why I go back toward the end game. And at my seminar, I mostly have coaches and I'm like, guys, it's not enough to teach technique. There is an end game, there is a, a step past technique, if you just need teach technique, uh, like they're gonna manage the way to sprint with their, you know, like pigeon toe, the wall externally rotated, and that's gonna fuck them up. So it's always the end game first, like you have, people need to understand the why and the how before you can tell them what to do. So my seminar is not the what, it's not to teach them technique, it's not to teach them any of that, it's to, it's to teach coaches the why and the how, so that they can take their people and go make them better with the programming and everything. But if we teach technique and programming without teaching rotation, people will fuck it up every time. That's why you see people that have perfect form on a deadlift and yet they fuck up their back every single time. And so that's when they come see me because first they go see the doctor, then the PT, then the massage therapist, then the acupuncture, then the voodoo guy, then the guy that sells snake oil, and then they come see me. So I got an easy job. I mean, so they come see me when they were, I'm about to die. But then that's why I had very good success fast because I was like, yeah, you can't hinge. If you can't hinge, I don't care what your form looks like, you're still doing it wrong. It looks like you're doing it right, you're not. And so I go back to the end game every time. And that's really the way I look at, at problems and movement patterns incorrectly is rotation first. But so that gives you an idea on also the, the point of the hammy like whether the lateral head or the middle head, they have a different purpose. So to engage the medial head to hinge properly, you have to internally rotate. Otherwise, and then it leads from there, basically. And so that was very important for me to have a system developed that way so I can take any problem from anybody coming to me and decompose it as the root problem and not just a technical issue because we've been there plenty of time when somebody can look like they're doing it right and yet they're doing it completely wrong. So, and then again, like there's many, many cultures out there that need to understand how to get their people from the beginning to move correctly. Otherwise they, they keep feeding the problem. And so uh, that was for me, that was the goal of the end game was we need to narrow it down to uh, the, the smallest possible piece. Just that, just that from there, we can make predictions. The key for me is, can you make a prediction? If you cannot, then it's a face-based argument. That was my problem with external rotation on everything that is overhead. Is when they start to say, show your armpit, which is right, but without internal rotation, that means you're forcing external rotation. I mean, give me a movement in sport where a pressing movement that is externally rotated. Can't do it. You can't find one. Well, look at a punch outside of a Chinese Kung Fu movie. Have you ever seen someone punching externally rotated?
3: No, everybody as they go punch. It actually comes this way. I mean, who? Yeah, I mean, I, exactly. Uh, Chinese kung fu. Uh, well, yeah, kung fu yeah. really? I mean, yeah. I have seen people do this, but they're.
4: Yeah, no, not, not in the power. Yeah, in, in kung fu movie you have.
3: Yeah. In real
4: life, in MMA, you've never seen it.
1: Yeah, you have to really look outside of like well, you have I mean, to find some well, fringe bullshit. Yeah, not in sport, basically.
3: I mean, even if you were to do like, like if you watch uh, Bruce Lee's uh, One Inch Punch, what does yeah. he do? He yep. He's rotating this way, he's not rotating out. Well, actually, it's, so, I have to watch that again. No, no, <laughs> yeah, trust I, me, I, he rotates in. Nobody, nobody rotates out. External <laughs> well, well, we also know that this position is not as strong as this position. Exactly. When you have
4: dumbbells in your hands, have you ever been stronger ex- going toward external rotation?
3: Uh, no, but uh, most people we have found are actually stronger at the dumbbell with a neutral grip. If they're Yeah, in- but they still
4: they still press toward internal.
3: They- Oh, Still yeah. not pressing, opening the hands. Yeah, very, very few people bring the bring them down here and then rotate this way in turn an exactly. external rotation. So no matter what,
4: they go internally. When you push in the NFL, have you ever tried to push
3: toward the outside,
4: like you know, like externally rotated? that's not where the power uh, is
3: no no as i would punch everything would be here so if you got to remember we always punch with the with the thumbs up yeah so a punch here because then it makes your elbow because if you externally rotate too much and your hand is over then effectively what this does is it locks yeah. the elbow, that's, you that's your a, elbow
4: so no, but that's, that's, that's a technical a, aspect that's a yeah.
3: technical aspect of where you place your hand but the, the
4: rotation goes toward this way you will not find one movement in sport where people can go look at gymnasts well, they didn't work, Are they ever accidentally rotated on the push paddle?
3: No, I mean, the, the only time I ever saw anybody, this is kind of strange how I think about it, and I always appreciate what people let me to think, uh, I watched a guy punch too far this way, as his hand was over here, he was too far out, and he got loaded and ruptured his bicep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you think about the bicep, how it loads, it, you know, it has to, if your hand is here and it loads this way opposed from here loading back, which was mm-hmm. always weird, because you see guys uh, do reverse grip bench. This There yeah. was a guy, Anthony Clark that used to reverse for a bench the dude was- One. The, yeah, I know, but there's always that one guy, man. Well, oh, yeah, he but was still five foot four, 400 pounds. Exactly. Head, inch long arms, so he was like, <laughs> it was a shorter range of mm-hmm. motion. But yeah, that's really the only time I've ever seen anybody do. Yeah. Uh, and usually the reason that people do that is because they end up hurting their uh, their biceps tendon somewhere in their shoulder. And by doing this, it kind of turns it off. But if you think about the work it. and power, they can't develop it. so. It's interesting yeah no it's good
4: yeah and so that was my major argument with the, the snatch i was like a power jerk everybody agrees that you will internally rotate so i'm like so you internally rotate on the power jerk you externally rotate on the snatch when do you switch from one to the uh, from one to the other
3: you know uh ironically i was thinking back uh when when i before i uh, my olympic lifting and my ability to go overhead really fucking decreased when i basically ruptured uh, my interspinatus and my supraspinatus. So, um, yeah, it sucks because now my lat has to do all the stabilizing. So for me to go overhead, it's just, so I actually went and got an MRI the other day and they're like, uh, if you ever want to be able to have any stability overhead, they're going to have to reattach this because your lat can't yeah. do it. But as I was remembering when, uh, before I fucked it up, and I remember how I fucked it up was actually when I was trying to do muscle ups because, you know, a 300 pound dude needs to do muscle ups. Mm-hmm. And I remember it slipped this way. And that's when it tore. But uh, when we were snatching a lot, we were taught to actually rotate this. I know. And I I was remembering Bergner uh, was like, you know, I want you to actually, as the bars in your hand, try to rotate this way. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I remember being never as strong as if I was like, well, why not? I I can show here, but if I actually torque back this way, then I get to use my bicep and I get to use more of what's in, and he said his chest, I never thought about that. But like, I always thought about sandwiching the two that if I can rotate here while doing this, mm-hmm. I can effectively torque the bar into a better position. Exactly. By the way, so. speaking
4: of that, I uh, Coach Bergener came to one of my seminars at Invictus and he agreed that I'm right. So oh, yeah. he actually, yeah, he went on a podcast and actually agreed that I'm
3: right about internal rotation. Wow. Well,
1: well, do you think it's also like a, a, a misinterpretation of like a show the armpit? That, For us, what we tend to see is a misinterpretation of hips back Uh, on a squat. People initiate an excessive, like you're talking about, excessive anterior pelvic tilt, versus we prefer more of a a neutral hip relation to the spine and sitting back more than flicking that hip back because. Yeah, but that's the problem.
4: That is the problem of cues without understanding.
1: Mm-hmm. End game, right? Going back to end game. End game.
4: Like, whenever you talk about hit position and show the armpits, you're talking about the middle game, how you put everything together. If you don't understand how the pieces work separately, you can't make them work together well. That's the principle of chess. Like, you're going to go in the end game, you're going to be screwed because you don't understand how, how to win at the end. If you don't understand how to win to win at the end, you're going to get into that situation in a poor position, you're going to lose against a skilled opponent. And life is a very skilled opponent. You're going to be in a position where you're not going to be good at it. Not everybody's gifted at everything, unfortunately. And so, but the key is, okay, so Eddie knows how to deadlift, okay? But how do I make him better if he gets to a position where naturally he's not good at? It? I mean, where he doesn't come naturally. Then what? Then I need the system, a model in place to be able to explain that correctly. And that's what the end game is for. It's not for when you do it correctly and, he, and, he, and it's smooth and it flows. great. What if it doesn't, doesn't flow? What if I have someone who's not gifted? What if I have grandma who comes and has a hip problem because she can't squat properly? That's when the end game is for because then I can go back to the smallest possible denominator, look at where the problem starts, and maybe improve this, and that in turn will make her better squatting. What if I just make her squat, she's going to break because she's not doing it correctly to start with. Sure. And that was the problem with rotating to show the armpits. That's not incorrect. It's, it's totally correct to, to show the armpits. But the problem is because they didn't understand internal rotation, they let go of it. And by letting go of it, they fucked up everybody.
3: Yeah.
4: And that's so that it always comes down to the in-game. Always, yeah. always. And that's the same thing on, on a hinge. Is People think I'm talking knees, out, knees in. I was like, that's abduction. That's not rotation. There's a difference. Yeah. So they were like, oh, you're going to have the sneeze. I'm like, that's adduction. I'm mm-hmm. talking about creating torque, not necessarily moving the bone. Just what moves the bone is the muscle and the tendons anyway. Let's have the muscle and tendons going to torque, to an internal rotation, and that will set up everything. So if you try internal rotation correctly, you'll notice your obliques engage properly when you're bent over. If you go externally, relaxes your stomach, your organs, leave the spine. You're going to fuck up your back. Your that's body true. knows. Your body knows how to do this correctly, you just fuck it up along the way.
3: Yeah, I mean, and, and we really found that foot position was really the, the, the biggest factor for us in terms of teaching that. If we can actually, like similar, if you can get your, toe, your foot in that vertical position, and then we know that you can keep that, and then as you start creating torque, it allows you to sandwich between the two and then you kind of drive against them. The problem becomes is that if you put your foot out here, and all of a sudden you drive now all of a sudden people roll up exactly. it's a big toe or if they're in this position and god knows that their knees collapse mm-hmm. yep. now you're having you know violent tibial torsion torn ACLs and uh you know fucking rupture No car. it would be a horrible no, it's yeah I mean but but that's that's what we see in real time and yes. you know, if it's an air squat uh, like they're not really it's fucking ground like yeah, yeah. it's lower risk yeah. the problem is now you have people that are trying to take what they're doing in uh, you know 50 air squats and now they're trying to be like hey I want to squat a one around squad want to squat a or 405 or and I'm like okay let's you know let's be smart let's put let's put you in a position to one be successful but also fight another day and come back and do it tomorrow no yeah. and exactly and my, my, but my thing what what I've noticed with people is until I could make them figure
4: out the end game they can't, they couldn't do it the way I wanted I was like no that's not what I said but then you reach that moment where you tell them something and you go, dude, I did not say that.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: And it, well, yeah, you see, you told me to do this. That's not what I said. Mm-hmm. And so because I was trying to teach them the middle game and they did not understand. If you don't understand what a, what a rope does, you can't play it. And so I was like, okay, this is not working. We need another step. We need the step where I can take the athletes and go, okay, I'm going to put you in a position where you need to internally rotate with certain exercise that I created. And I'm like, okay, do you feel, now can you create, even if it's not a lot, do you feel how to create talk the way I want? Yes. And then I took them back to the exercise and now they could create talk the correct way. That doesn't mean they were ready for the max rep because they never have been in that position. Now you're gonna have to earn your position all the way to your max rep. But at least we were on the way there. Now suddenly, I can put you through a program to get you there where we can build up because before that, there was no way to build up correctly. Because from the get-go, they were doing it wrong. Because they did not understand the, how to create talk properly.
1: So, and, Julian, when uh, when did you have this epiphany about Endgame? And what were you doing before then? Uh, before that, I was fucking it up. And
4: <laughs> the Endgame, I had an epiphany about eight months ago.
3: No, you know what's interesting is... Um, we've had people on our podcast almost like this where they've ar- they've arrived at the same conclusions that we have mm-hmm. just from different ways yeah, like yeah. you know like that's it's always interesting like dude like i i can think of countless amount of people that we're not you know like we're peripherally know, but we're not directly involved with that come to the same conclusions that we do and see these same things and you kind of are like am i, I feel like i'm taking crazy pills and Then you run into other people that you you know this is uh even though i've heard of Julian, i've ne- never met this our first time really rapping, but like i'm listening to it and i'm like Shit, it sounds like our conversations, or I'm like, are you sure we haven't met? Yeah, yeah. Because, uh, you know, but it comes down to, if you're a observant person, and you've been doing I this, it. and you are look for patterns and models like we do, which is a big deal for me, I'm always looking for patterns. You go through enough models and patterns, and then all of a sudden you realize, you're like, wait a minute, something's broken here. What am I seeing? How does this fit? And then you start trying to change, and you get to the point, like you said, what I was teaching wasn't getting people and you're like, well, it's not what I said. This is what I want to say. So then you mm-hmm. talk and I, it, you know, it's the same thing we do. I mean, we show people, I want you to do this when you can't do this. I'm going to show you how to do this. And then I'm going to show you how this translates into what you were doing. And this is why you're doing it wrong is because you can't do this, which is exactly where he's like, you know, uh, you know, you want to create torque, I'm going to show you what torque is here. Now I need you to be a smart enough or a good enough or even just a uh, you know, globally aware person to be able to translate one to two and say, well, if I could do it here, you should be able to do it here. And then that's practice. And then they have to basically, you know, perfection of movement and this. And uh, yeah, I mean, just, you know, a life of trying to make better movers out of people that are doing a training system that doesn't necessarily foster movement is fucking tough.
1: Yeah. It works. But that
4: was my, my my frustration. Me was started like the reason I, I came up with the that model, like I call that the the movement matrix, was that I fixed some uh, a bunch of lifters who were on their way to be so screwed up they would never lift again, or at least not competitively. And uh, I had one like that was Ali Ludwig. Like you're gonna see her at the Olympics, Olympic weightlifting. She's at she's at uh, Sean Waxman's gym, and uh, snatches. She's a 90 kilo snatches over 97 kilos she's only 23 so she has a bright future when she came to me she couldn't lift an empty barbell overhead without pain in her neck the trap being jacked and losing feeling completely in her left arm stuff like that and so I fixed her and it's great and it makes me excessively happy what keeps keeps me up at night is how many I didn't fix
1: mm-hmm.
4: and you, the fact that I'll never see Torrance? them do you, do you live in Torrance yeah we're where in Torrance uh, I used to live in Torrance. Now I live in the world, really, because I'm, I'm all over the world. But I was on a
3: Amapola Court, uh, 10 minutes from Sean. Okay, okay. Yeah, no, I, I grew up in Torrance. So, uh, Palos Verdes, Torrance. I, I,
4: have a, I have a story about that one, by the way, uh, in one second. And so, um, the, the key for me was, how do I, uh, we need the model that I can, so coaches can apply so they can fix those people. Because if I do it just on the people I see, I'll fix 20 people. If I can show coaches, how to approach it correctly? I'll, fi- I'll fix a million, and that's why I did the, the movement matrix. I was like, we need a binary system: yes or no, a, z- a, a zero or one. where that's how you approach movement. They either do this or they or they do that. And so, the, the, me being good at fixing people is not enough. I wanted to create a model so that every coach can use that model and put through his people, these people through, and at least understand the root of the problem. After they're good enough to fix them, I don't know, but at least I've given them the, an understanding of where the problem starts. Yeah.
3: And
4: so that was the reason for the system because I am, we can do better as a human race. I am tired of seeing athletes that will 10 weeks, they are 10 weeks from getting fixed or never lifting again. Mm-hmm. I'm tired, we can do better as a human race.
1: So, Julian, uh, another quick question. We're talking a lot about training and lifting. Do you work at all with uh, field sport athletes—rugby, football, soccer, stuff like that? Uh,
4: not football. I had some golf players. I had some rugby players. I had a bunch of uh, uh, people coming. I like to train pro athletes, but it's a hobby. My goal is to fix—is uh, to have a system so that when grandma walks through the door, I can fix her as well. Mm-hmm. I, want, I, I, I had enough people that were truly in pain, like real pain
1: yeah.
4: that you can see the humanity is taking away from them a little bit because pain will break you mm-hmm. eventually. And I had people coming to me, what you could tell, like it was back surgery and then more back surgery and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And it's fixable. Like it's just a pattern, a bad pattern. They didn't get hit by a car. This was just being created one after another. So I'm like, we can fix this. There has to be a way to do this. That gap between PT and performance training is so big; people oh. get lost in the yeah. middle and oh. get killed. And that's not—I refuse to live in a world like this.
3: Well, the uh, or the even bigger one is uh, the the surgery to physical therapy and then back yeah. to training. Yes. Like, I mean, I exactly. uh, if if I got—I mean, I shit you down. if I got five to ten emails a day to my uh, to my to my Raven account. Uh, about people that are like, I had this injury, I had this surgery, I went to the PT, PT ended. I am nowhere near ready to exactly. get back to where I need to be. What do I do? Yep. You know I mean, and yeah. it's like like that is what, uh, that that is such a big question to send somebody an email and I usually do I just forward my console link and I'm like, dude, you're you're like asking me to diagnose a car over the phone with yeah. a car I've never seen without even telling me the model or what's wrong yep. with it. And, um, you know, like, uh, I got an email on day. I, I wrote something on, um, like low testosterone and cortisol and all this for the blog. And this lady's like, I just got, uh, I went to a naturopath. I got androgen testing done. I have no cortisol or testosterone. Can you help me or, uh, what should I do to get it back on? And I literally was like, uh, uh, That's, yeah, it's like, yeah, like, uh, like that is, uh, or, or, like, what should I do to build it back up? And I remember, like, and I, I, I just forwarded our console link, with like, are you serious? Like, this is, uh, like, first of all, what did the natural past say? Two, you don't give me any value. Like, it's, and, and I, like, I'm sure, Julian, you've run into people that are like, I'm in pain, and you're like, can you be more specific? Is it emotional uh, mental pain? Every day. Yeah, and then you know, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, and it, it seems as if. Um, and this is something that I have to remind people i 'm like you 're doing this for enjoyment this is you know this isn 't your job this isn 't what you do it 's not like you know my former job where I got paid to yeah. manage pain. people are doing this like i 'm an accountant I work here i 'm a account manager I do yeah. this you know yeah. I, I sell mortgages i 'm a lawyer, and I go to this place and and 'm training for something and fuck myself up where it basically destroys the quality of my life but i can 't say and i 'm like
1: yeah, how many so like it blows my mind. At our, at our seminar, we responsibly ask, like, "Hey, who has an injury or a condition or whatever?" And it amazes me that this is a recreational thing for a lot of these people. It amazes me how many people have trained themselves into an injury. I would say over fifty percent, and that number is oh, way more,
4: way more than that. Like because they're not, they're, they're saying injuries. Some don't raise their hands. Ask them how many of them have uh, shoulder
1: pain. Yeah, there, there you go. Shoulder pain, hip pain, back pain. Uh, it's,
3: it's 95%, man. We we had a guy come to our seminar. I remember it was in Austin, and the guy uh, walks in, and um, he uh, he like walks, beelines over to me. I'm like, what's happening? How are you doing? He goes, uh, I came to seminar to uh, have you help me with my squat. I was like, all right. What's wrong with your squat? I have uh, shooting knee pain to the <laughs> point where I can't this walk guy. up yeah. and down. A, he goes, I can't walk up and down stairs without my knees bucked. Because you know, I mean, you think about a uh, uh, patellar tendonite is so bad that the tendonite, you know, turns off the quad and his knees buckle. So going downstairs, his knees buckle. I mean, wow. he's at, to the point where I have to wear uh, patella bands, you know, basically you put a tight band on, cuts the patella in half and shortens the, the lever. I have to wear patella bands 24-7, like it's affecting my entire life. And I'm like, have you thought about not squatting? And he's like, well, no, I'm training, and he's giving me this whole thing. I'm like, so what do you do? Uh, you're a professional? And he's like, no, I'm a uh, you know, I forgot what he did, but it was, you know, a corporate job. And I'm like, like all right. I'm
1: corporate comptroller. Yeah, I got to yeah. make sure
3: records retention. Exactly. Yeah. So we go to squat. and I was like, here's what I want you to do, man. Like we're going to go through all this stuff. We're going to do it through a bunch of movement. When we get barbells, come fucking get me. I'll coach your group. So we go get in it. And uh, I'm like, let me see you squat. The dude literally, <laughs> as he's, he, he like, you know, forward position. He literally drops straight into his squat. His knees yeah. shoot over his toes like eight inches, right? Externally, yeah. yeah. or sorry, inter or uh, um, anterior pelvic tilts this way, right? And all yeah. of a sudden, he's dive-bombing at a 45 oh, into so this f- thing. And I'm like looking at him like, ooh. So he stands up. I'm like, you know what? Let's squat together. So I, yeah. I, I like put like one hand on his chest and like pull his hips into mine. That and, lucky I, guy. Oh, he got Are you the, sure
1: it wasn't just the contact that he well, had he, with he was, your groin he, he, that he, fixed he, he, it? He was,
4: did something push him back up that's what i want to know
3: i was like did he had to go up
4: really fast because yeah okay i see i had one i happened.
3: told him i wanted to drop it like it's hot i'm like let's pretend i'm freaking you at the club this, so this first the, the moment, was he was an assisted was, lift as he goes and squats i really took my hand and pulled his hips back and i got the dude to sit back i'm like i want you to pretend like you're sitting on a toilet i remember that doing this awkward we're gonna squat together thing I, and uh the that dude makes looked, me nervous and the dude stands <laughs> up and he like turns around and like his girl's like that looked really good and I'm like it did look good but he yeah, it's like how the knee pain, zero knee pain proceed to get this guy to squat fine I see the dude like three years later and he walks over to me and he's like no knee pain it all went away and I remember thinking to myself this dude trains in a gym like this isn't even his job like this is so basic like how is it that people get stuck in these movement patterns and I'm dude I I you know, you see it as much as we do it, you know, and you're in a position where you're like, I have to fix these guys. What up? Like, you know, do you almost see things tying together? Like somebody has a shoulder and a knee or yes. that it's, it's almost like, uh, uh, people have, if they have bad movement, it's, it, I guess if we split upper and lower, like I have a bad shoulder with a, uh, a bad right shoulder, bad right knee. I have a hip. I have a shoulder, I have an ankle. I mean, do you see it kind of across the entire spectrum or is it usually isolated to one thing? No, I
4: I see the body as a unit, always. So everything is connected to me. But like the guy with a bad shoulder, usually he's squatting with the bar slanted on his back. Because, you know, he can't take it because the lat is off. So that's crushing one way. If the bar is crushing him right away, he's going to try to squat with a straight bar. So that means he's going to shoot his hips under the bar on the same side. That tilts him to that side so the, the opposite knee gets fucked up. It's with my knee hurts. I'm like, well, yeah, because you can't put the bar on your back correctly. Sure. And so that's when they go back to sandbags, by the way. But the yeah, so I think it's connected. That's the second part of my of my system was to establish uh, um, the the elements like this. Of always, uh, I, have a, I use pyramids because it's easier to remember. But for me, I have the, what I call the S pyramid, which is uh, the bottom of the pyramid is always structure. Then from there i go to our stabilization and stability uh, then specialization so i have uh, pyramids like this and i i look at people through those pyramids like a filter if you want to see where the what the problem uh are but for me it's always connected the body is a unit it is not a car you don't get to have one piece fucking up while the other one does nothing so it's always very important to connect everything but so the like you can fix people, but it's that's not what worries me. What worries me was the guy's coach.
3: Yeah, well, that's that's another thing. I always, you know, and um, I realize, uh, you know, Greg Glassman made a very observant statement, and we, we use it quite often when we talk to people about coaching and whatnot. Is you know, people fail at the margins of their experience. That if your experience only takes you here, then mm-hmm. you're you're going to fail at the deal, and the problem becomes that uh, you know, and it's hopefully. It's a little bit better today than it was a few years ago, where you have a guy who you know basically gets fired from his mortgage job, goes and takes a CrossFit seminar, and they see he's opening a gym and he's training people. And um, you know, whenever I ask people, like, okay, so what did you before this? What is your history? Like, uh, you know, you're out there, you know, uh, you're a run coach, but yet you played water polo in high school and you never ran. Like, you know, uh, you know, you're coaching power lifters, but yet you've never stepped on a platform. Yeah. Um, you know, we ran into that in, in football all the time. We would have guys who were football coaches. That never fucking did the job, and the problem with that is, is they can sit and they can observe things, like you said, they can see those first two levels, but they don't ever understand the deep meaning and, and why you do the things that you do. And I remember uh, my pencil line coach in Kansas or in Philadelphia, Juan Castillo. Uh, Juan was a linebacker, really student of the game, student of the game. But I remember talking with him on some just very like complex things, like even that punching with the thumb up, grabbing. And then being able to like, you know, control people this way with, you know, internal external rotation to be based on here to be able to drive them almost. And like really small little complex things like getting down in your stance and instead of rotating out this way to push off your instep, rotating your knee this way so that I could drive and use my hip and be more explosive off yeah. the wall. And uh, talking to him about these things and um, him coming back and filming these clinic things because he wanted to be able to take these to other coaches and talk to them because he didn't understand them. And I remember filming all this clinic film. What are you going to do? He's like, well, when I go teach my coaching clinics, I'm going to talk about this shit. And I'm like, so what are you going to you going to talk about it? He's like, no, I'm just going to show your video. I'm like, all right, well, that makes sense. Uh, but like that level of understanding is really what we're running into, especially with coaches today is all they're doing is they are seeing or hearing who they deal and then they're regurgitating it and they're fucking everybody up. And then you're like, and I'm sure you've seen this too. You go work with somebody and you're like, who taught you how to do this? Or more importantly, where'd you learn this? And They tell you and you're like, God damn it. I need to go kill that dude to get rid of this fucking bad movement. It's, um, you know. But that, that's that's why I do the seminars, though, because this, a lot of those coaches,
4: they um, most of them don't mean yeah. bad. They, they mean, well, they just, they, they can't figure it out. They just, you know, they just don't know, which is not an excuse, don't get me wrong. But the fact is, uh, where do you go anyway? Because like, you can't learn calculus without understanding basic math. Where do you learn basic math of movement? You don't. Like, you, you do that on your own. You learn it on your own. Like, you you took a, a, a book and you learn basic math on your own, and from there you went into calculus and you were a good athlete and everything. Most of them are, are not like that. They don't have, you know, they can't do that. So I was like, okay, so I'm either I'm going to bitch about it, or I'm going to try to fix it.
3: Well, the, uh, the way that it should work, and at least for me it worked, was... Um I observed movement through technique, which was Mm -hmm. football, and then I saw what worked and what didn't work, and then I would go back and say, all right, if I do this, this is successful, and if I don't do this, this is successful. But you have to realize that I was using my technique in terms of how it relates to another person, and then that person creates force and movement, and then you go through all this kind of dance, and I knew what wins and losses were, and I figured out what a a perfect human movement for my job was based off of wins and losses and finding it in real time. I knew that if I did this and there were guys that were way more gifted than me athletically who could get away with more. Like I remember yeah, watching, always. Uh, um, always. you know, Brian Waters and, and, uh, will shield these guys do shit that I knew was wrong, but because they were so gifted, it didn't matter where I'd be like, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. If I do that, I will fucking lose because I know that's wrong movement. And so that was a huge deal. Almost more than anything was, uh, I knew what was right and I saw the most talented dudes do it wrong and still win. And I was like, yeah, that's all fucked up, but yet they were good. Mm -hmm. And and so the problem becomes is we start developing training systems and observations and models based off of the most gifted in the world. Yep. So if I were to go develop an offensive line, uh, you know, clinic technique off of Will Shields, it wouldn't apply because fucking that guy is one of the best (laughs) best to ever play. That's why he's in the hall of fame and played 14 years. Mm -hmm. So like I, you know, and this is the thing where it's like, we do this just naturally like you you take a look at like the best olympic lifter in the world or this guy and he just happens to have a a very unique skill set that allows him to do his job better than anybody else but then what do we try to do we try to see that we try to extrapolate back and think well he's the best well he might not be the best technician you know it's like you watch paradimos pull the bar and the dude is so fucking dynamic Mm -hmm. and so explosive that people are like oh he's trying to do these things i'm like have you watched him pull the fucking bar off the ground? Mm-hmm. Like his ability to pull, pull the bar and pull himself is like no other athlete I've ever seen. But then they had other things in like the training halls of him doing things, and the dude's doing like a flat-footed sixty-inch jump over or uh, over like a uh, a rack, uh, yeah, rack yeah, 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 or, or over a uh, uh, like a, a dowling piece in a rack, yeah, like side, like one step over and then lands and like effortlessly, and you're like, all right, that dude's fucking incredibly athletic and gifted and dynamic and all mm-hmm. these other things but the problem becomes that what you have to do is almost start you know and you, you uh, from what you said sounds like you've done it where you create a set of systems that exposes people's weaknesses and then you have to, be able to go back and show them be like okay here's what i want you to do i want you to do it your way and then it exposes the weakness now i want you to do it this way do you see the difference now can you replicate the difference now can we translate it to movement in yeah. terms of these different you know, position, mm-hmm. or stage manager, whatever you want to use it for. But
4: so we know how to do it. What I want now is to be able to create a system so we can teach it to lesser capable coaches.
2: And and so we need of-
4: that because there's only two of us and, and hundreds of thousands out there.
2: And one of our big lines is a coach needs a coach and kind of what your system yes. is providing an opportunity for them to see that feedback. And most gym coaches, they just train alone or with... Coaches as similar yeah. so they don't see where they're failing and your system would provide that opportunity to, you know, make them aware and conscious of their movement mistakes. And Yeah, we, and you
4: know, m- mine is just a background. Mine is not designed for the middle game or the end game. So I will never take people to the Olympics. That is not my goal. My goal is to allow a system like that's quantum mechanics versus cosmology, if you want. Cosmo- quantum mechanics is a very, very small. Cosmology is a very, very big. A guy who's very good at quantum mechanics does not, uh, is not going to go and do cosmology. But in order to do cosmology, you have to understand the very, very small. Because that's understanding the basic of how the universe works is going to allow you to calculate how it works on a big scale. It's a little bit the same thing. We need to have a system that is simple enough, uh, not simplistic enough, simple enough. There's a huge difference between the two. There is an elegance in simplicity. Simplistic is not helping, but the key is to go back to the smallest possible denominator that that it becomes simple enough that we can have a system based on that that shows where the problem starts. Now, that's not the end of the problem because knowing where the problem starts is only the the first step, but we need that first step because most coaches out there, they are only gonna change technique based on what they know of that technique. I've been taught this way, so if you don't squat that way, then it's wrong. That, but that's not coaching. Coaching is, okay, you are not loading your hammies, so therefore you're not internally rotating correctly. Let me, teach, let me teach you how to internally rotate correctly. Now you know how to load your hammies. Now if I say, when you squat, please load your hammies, they can do it. Whereas before that, if I just said you're squatting wrong, who cares? I'm not, I'm not getting through. There's a moment me knowing there's a problem is not enough. I need you to know there's a problem so you I, I need i need a system where coaches can explain to their people what they are doing wrong instead of doing instead of saying you're doing it wrong i want i want coaches to be able to go to their people and explain them the why and the how you let me tell you so they can tell their people let me tell you why you're doing it wrong you're not loading your hammies you know how you load your hammies you internally rotate let me show you how to do this do you understand now the difference good Can we take that to the squat, please? Yes. Okay, so now you feel the difference of squatting with hammies without squatting without hammies. Now that person understands. Now they can get better. But before that moment, that epiphany, they could never understand squat correctly. And so maybe some will find out eventually, but eventually means usually injuries in the meantime, means we're getting fucked up. And some people will never get it anyway. We need to be able to empower coaches with a system so that they can apply it to everybody coming into their gym.
2: And so that's what I want. That's a a great point. most effective way to get buy-in is to show versus just tell them over and over, and that that feedback is essential. Um, Kind of moving- The why and the how, always. Exactly. Uh, A reference point that I like to make at seminars is um, moving, just squatting, pressing, all that. We can overcome our inefficiencies because we have all this space, but then Imagine a swimmer in the water, right? Gravity is fighting down and they have to be as efficient as possible. But the swimmer has that immediate feedback that kind of us in the room on the field do not have.
4: And that's exactly that. For me, was to find that feedback. So that feedback was, that's what the internal rotation, I mean, the rotation to create torque comes in. Because I have certain exercises when I'm like, did you feel that particular way to create torque? I'm like, yes. Okay, then you're going to apply this to... A more complex movement like pressing or things like that. And they get it right away because they're like, oh, that's how it's supposed to feel. So instead of talking to the onocortex part of the brain, which is memorization, you can talk to the limbic part of the brain, which is the why and the heart, that emotional when they go, I felt that movement. Now I understand the why I have to do it that way. And that's how you win. Telling people what to do never works. for the good reason is that biologically speaking, that is not the part of the brain you want to talk to. You want to talk to the limbic part of the brain, not the neocortex. Neocortex is just memorization. The second out the door, they forget half the stuff. The important part is to go back to, a sim- again, simple, not simplistic. But where, how does movement start? Which uh, Greg Glassman, is genius, was to explain what fitness is. I want to be able to explain what movement is.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, Julian, let me ask you this. Um, it, within our seminar we, we talk about athleticism and skill and ability and uh, taking the time when you're first introduced to training to develop what we'll call a base level of strength mm-hmm. and I can't help but notice that the name of your company includes strong and ours includes power <laughs> why would you take strong over something else
4: <laughs> you mean like strongman stuff also as well by the way speaking of this let me ask um, John one thing sure. do you know who Sam Alwenda is
3: sal what's
4: his name sam Alduenda. he was a friend of george Tsengas.
3: oh yeah yeah oh yes yes yeah dude I, I do know sam very well he was my powerlifting
4: coach for six years
3: oh yeah okay okay
4: did not... you did you did you train at george's house
3: yeah oh yeah for years since i was uh 14 years old i trained at okay. his, his garage
4: so you remember that blue power rack yeah
3: oh yeah yeah very it's cool. at my gym oh yeah
4: <laughs> no way you know,
3: so, Do you remember uh, that red
4: safety squad bomb?
3: Yeah,
4: it's at my gym too.
3: Oh, you motherfucker! I'm coming. Yeah, here. <laughs> I,
4: I got to get When him. he died, I went to his ex-wife's garage and I bought all his stuff.
3: You know what? I'm going to throw up right now because I literally uh, hit up Artista and tried to buy all George's stuff after he passed away, and uh, they told me they threw it all away. No, nope, I bought it. Wow. Well, thank God because yes. uh, yeah. I mean, literally, I tried to get all that stuff and uh do you want it it's yours uh you, well the, the safety squad i'll trade you one i have a say i'll trade you a safety squad but uh um do you want the
4: power rack get the power rack man come on, that was
3: his uh, the, you yeah, need to get it yeah
4: let's I, go test drive it
2: first
3: yeah I'm, I'm gonna come up and look at it i'll, I'll bring you something and trade but it's uh no i mean dude so when george passed away i mean so george was a, a mentor for me i mean dude when i was 14 i know I trained over there and like, dude, like, um, I mean, I've told a million stories on this podcast about that old man. And, uh, I remember when he passed away, I saw Sam, uh, at, at his funeral and I remember yep. talking with him and like, we were wrapping a bunch and I, uh, I actually asked him cause, um, you know, my belts were all there. I mean, all my super suits yep. wraps, I mean, all the equipment we had and like George had all those deadlift bars and he had them preset. So there was like a 540 big bar and I asked Artista, I was like, Artista, I, uh, I, I want George's stuff. Like we got, and she was like, "Oh, it's all gone. We got rid of it all." And so I, and I don't know why she was like that uh, to blow it. He was off. not happy. No, no, they. It was a bad deal.
4: I, I went. I went to uh, to their house, and she just spent an hour trashing the guy. He was dead three days. I was like, "Okay, sure." I, uh, you know, what I mean, like Sam was very upset, honestly, because she just tried to. She was talking not very nicely, but the guy. I was like. The dude has been yeah, has been dead seventy two hours. Let it go, lady. Let it go. Just let me. And I was I was there. I was like, let me buy it. I had no money at the time. I was like, let me buy it because that way it'd be used by lifters. And so I've been squatting in that right since he died.
3: Wow. Did uh was this up in um uh the house in PB No, was there a, was the house
4: in uh, that was uh, her in, house in uh, San Pedro.
3: Was in it San Pedro? San Pedro. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so that was George's house. So he, you know, when when I trained with him, he lived up in PV. And then when they yep. got a divorce, she got the uh, the stores, and then he got the mail order deal. And he was uh, originally he lived up the street for me in Palos Verdes, and then he moved out to San Pedro. And uh, when I saw them at the at the wedding, because um, or not the wedding, but at the funeral, uh, what was sad was uh, I had a message on my phone from George. So George and I had this epic game of phone tag because George was like a king night owl. Like, he yeah, would I up for his phone about like midnight. And, like, <laughs> I, like you know, like, dude, when you train at 5 a.m., you got to get up early. So, George would call, and he would like call me at like 1130 midnight. And then I would try to call him back the next day. And he wouldn't call me until midnight. And we had this epic game of phone tag. And I had a message on him from about a week earlier. And I was trying to get a hold of him. And I forgot what we were talking about. And then I get the phone call that he died. And I like see this, like, the message from him. And I had to listen to it. That's and like, right. I'm like you know uh, so yeah we we were pretty upset I mean my brothers and I all went I mean dude we all trained in George's garage I mean George you know Steve like dude he raised us from the time we were little kids I mean dude I remember Saturday night George would come pick me up and we would go uh, to the taverna we would you know I mean he was um, as uh, as good a friend and I count much of my influence and everything from him so one I'm stoked that you have that stuff yeah and two I'm glad people are using it and that yeah, yeah. and, and that me yes. that everything because dude I. I legitimately, there were so many things in that gym that I asked. Sure. Yeah, I, I, like he had, um, uh, like the dumbbells. I mean, dude, he, he had a bunch of different bars. He had the very, he had one of the very first reverse hypers uh, when Louis developed the reverse I hyper. I sent it to George, and I think Sam still has it because when I saw Sam, I think he gave it to him. So Sam might still. Yeah, have it. it's in his garage. You
4: remember like that harness that he that he built? Yes.
3: Yeah, oh, I have it. It's oh. in my gym. <laughs> Dude, there, there was all of that crazy stuff. I mean, uh, I know. Uh, that safety squat bar. So we would do the original Hatfield squats with the handle yep. and hold on. Yeah, and I know. I have the handles too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with that blue power rack. That was the uh, yeah. I uh, first time I ever squatted 300 pounds, first time I ever squatted 400 pounds, first time I ever squatted 500 pounds was in yep. that rack. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, the, did I, by the way, <laughs> <Stop. being laughs> mad, dude, the funny part is um, so George uh, advertised in all these different magazines, you know, for the supplements for whatever yeah, yeah. So he had yeah. literally hundreds of stacks of magazines all over. So like when we were kids, uh, you know, the kids like we would show up and we'd rack, and then like we would sit there and we would read the magazines. And so like I was, I and I asked him like, where are those magazines? Because there was hundreds of like powerlifting USA, all this stuff and like or articles George had written in all these different magazines. I mean, dude, all the old lifters we met. I mean it was um I'm so excited to know that the people are using that stuff. Like like my brothers and I were so distraught that we throw that away because you can ask these guys. I collect old equipment. Like I I joined a gym just because they had the Hatfield, original Hatfield safety squat bar, like George had. And I have it here. And when the gym closed, I like told the guy, "I'm like, I'll buy it, whatever you want." The guy. In the gym I, I got those
4: leather handles. he used to do tricep extension. I have those.
3: Yeah. I got I, I got a bunch of stuff, man. Did, uh, were there a set of hooks that you put on your wrist with hooks? Yeah, there were there too. Yeah, we, we used to use those for these weird uh, <laughs> uh sumo deadlift that we would do with uh, with dumbbells, and then we would do all the pull ups and everything. So. Uh, I'm stoked you bought all that dude. I'll I will yeah. travel up to, to to see it and um, thank you for uh, for telling me that dude. That's that's huge for me. Because I was so, so you threw it all did, did you
4: did you ever meet Joe DiMarco as well in Torrance? Joe DiMarco. The original uh, West Side. Yes. Yes. Yeah, he came he to my gyms three times a week.
3: Yeah, I exactly. have
4: the best stories ever from that guy.
3: <laughs> well, that's well, that's when I asked you. I was like, "Dude, are you from Torrance?" Because I, when when I saw the uh, the deal, I was like, "Dude, I you know I grew up there, yeah. I mean, dude. I mean, that that's that's my own stomping ground." So, but the uh, it was always cool at George's because you never knew who was going to show up. Yeah, like, like uh, we would get there around like nine nine thirty. We had to have like three cups of coffee, which is always funny for like you know when I joke about these. The, the Zangas coffee was actually sludge. And um, and then we would finally start rolling at like ten or eleven, and then dudes would start showing up at like one o'clock, and you need to hang out and rack weights for these cats. And it was like, oh shit, they got sandwiches. And you're <laughs> like, I can't believe I just had sandwiches and lifted weights for five hours. My dad would show up, and he'd be like, <laughs> 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 and he yeah,
4: yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you don't understand who showed up but that Dad. <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah, I mean, he was. uh Yeah, he was a legend. So it, I was, um you know. Yeah, pretty sad when he passed away. I mean, uh, John Papadakis gave up and gave a pretty good eulogy of him. But um, yeah, I mean, super sad. So me, like,
4: like for example, me, I wanted to uh, to record like all the Joe DiMarco's um, story because he was original West Side, so in Culver City, with Bill West, yeah, with Bill West, all that stuff, yeah. So he had um, Pat Casey, six hundred yeah. pound, six fifteen bench press, was in 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 his garage. Yep. He was there when it happened. Like I mean, they locked him up with a hooker for two hours first, and then he got to bench press six fifteen. You have <laughs> stories like that where you go, "What?" Yeah, and he keeps on going on and on and on and on like yeah.
3: that. Man, that was so cool. Yeah, George, George always told us all the good stories. I mean, I remember uh, um, he was telling us that when he was coaching the Thompson powerlifting team, uh, it was who um, was the uh, uh, Frank Zane he used to come and yep. train with them all the time, and uh, they called him the chemist. Because Frank Zane was the dude that just knew all, all the stuff. And so he said, uh, you know, it was uh, all over the map. So I remember he's like, as soon as I saw Zane, I knew it was going to be a good day. <laughs> 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 and, uh, yeah, but just the stories. I mean, um, you know, the, the, the one good thing about George is uh, he he knew it, he saw it, and he had an opinion about it. And um, I, I remember it was, it, it was uh, always cool, one uh, I've run into people that still have his original marathon gear. I was out at uh, Westside and one of the girls actually busted a set of his wraps out of the bag. I mean, the double gold medal ones. And I was like, and she like, look, she's like, can't get these anymore. I'm like, yeah, the man died. I mean, that was the end of marathon. So, I mean, he invented the super suits and the wraps. And ironically, mm-hmm. uh, Guyvers, which was that, you know, the the historic gym was just right down here at Costa Mesa. And George ended up giving me the address when I lived down here and I drove and it's an apartment complex. But George told us about this gym Guyvers where all was all this homemade equipment and the door weighed like ten thousand pounds. It had this huge like knocker. And like you had to be a strong fucking dude just to open the door. And so George and he gave me the address. He like pulled it out of some magazine and I drove over and it's literally like um if you go down placentia, you make a right and it's back in there, you know, okay. before you get to Harbor. And he gave me the address and I sent him a picture and he's like, Jesus Christ, that was the the greatest fucking gym in the world. People traveled from all over to go to Guyvers. So, I mean, Zangus's Garage was another one. So, I mean, that's good. I'm really super, that, that brings joy to my heart to know that you have that stuff.
4: Yep. I, it, was, it was really cool. And Sam tried to get me to fit in that suit. And I said, no. <laughs> <laughs> he brought it. And I was like, I'm not going in that thing. That is not happening. I'm uh, not doing this.
3: Uh, I had one of George's suits, and um, nope. uh, they were so aggressive. Yep. Nope. If squatted heavy. You would have bruises all over. Yeah. Uh, not doing just, it. Yeah. So uncomfortable. But nope. um, I I like, said fuck that. Yeah. No. I mean, he. Uh, yeah. No. I mean, I. I remember the uh, when I squatted 650 or 610 in college. I remember he called me the night before and. uh like super late I was in college he called me and he's like oh you're testing tomorrow I was like yeah he's like, winning a squat and I'm like I'm a squat uh 600 he's like no you're gonna do 610 and here's all your workups and so he was like I want you to do this set for this many this I want you to wrap here and he like gave me everything and then for the bench and this is what I want you to hit and I, and I went in and I remember uh I squatted the 610 when I was 19 uh for our test and I called him like this, uh, as soon as I got home and he was like they just hear George like you know like just breathing out of his nose and um that was good i uh no he was uh, he was a good friend of mine and um i was super sad when he passed away of yeah
4: me too i i got to meet him like a, a few months uh before he died and everything so we started talking because he wanted to do supplements again because he was broke basically and i was like look i know a lot of people in strongman i got you know a lot of people in crossfit i can uh, you know, Valerie Vogel, I was training her at the time already. And everything, I was like, I, I would love to get you, you, your knowledge should be passed
3: on. Yeah. But no, unfortunately, yeah. I, I was trying to get him on, Um. so Mark Ripto had his deal where he was interviewing different people and he interviewed me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, he had like um Kirk Kowalski and different people. Yeah. And I was trying like a motherfucker to try to get George to, do his, to go down on his show. But George didn't want to fly to Texas to do it and fuck this. And you know, he was kind of bitter. And I was like, George, I'm like, Dude, the amount of knowledge that you know, I mean, dude, uh, and it, it's not so much anymore, but probably I get an email at least maybe every two months from somebody either about George, looking for George, and how many people have asked me what the programming looked like at George's gym. Like, what did you guys do for programming? What did it do this? And, uh, um. Uh, you know, and I tell them what I remember, but I was like, honestly, nothing was ever written down, and, and George told you what you were going to do that day. This is what you're going to do today, and I never asked him yep. anything outside of that day. Okay. Next time you go to Torrance when you visit the gym, I need to get you
4: to talk to uh, to Joe, and you need to either put it on camera, put it on paper, but get the programming, get the stories, get all this, because those guys will be gone soon, and that's a shame, because he has stories of... Um, it was George, was it, no, uh, who did that? 600 for 30. He was there when it happened, back squat. Yeah. He was there when it happened. He he got there at 17. He was, fuck uh, George. George, um, I forget his last name all the time, but uh, he was there when the guy did 600 for 30. He was there when, the guys were, were doing like dumbbell presses with the 315 homemade dumbbells uh, holding to a pipe. He has stories like this where you go, what
1: the fuck,
4: what do you mean? That's dude,
3: the procedure. It was like, I was there when the guy did it. Dude, when um, uh, the guy that trained, or my training partner was a guy named Tasso Papadakis, and he's John Papadakis' son, and Petros, who's Tasso's brother, is on the radio a bunch now. Um, but Tasso's the one that got me into lifting. Uh, George was um, Mitzi, who's Tasso's youngest brother's godfather. And so George was like godfather to all of us, but uh, Tasso got me into lifting weights. And Tasso, I, sw- I watched him squat 500 for 10 at 16 years old I'm sorry no he was 15 I was 14 oh shit yeah so I mean like there was uh, uh Rob Coulter who was a running back I mean dude I yep. watched Rob Coulter squat like 405 for a set of 20 as a drop set as like an 18 year old kid going out to Arizona I mean dude there was I mean Brandon <laughs> right yeah I mean Brandon Brandon uh, right was strong I mean every kid that trained at George's gym was uh, uh like even like I remember watching these guys train and even what I was able to do and like some of the things um, are, you know, like when Zach Evanish was talking about like, you know, like old school, you know, like I, mean, I joke with Zach. And he's always like, it's gotta be old school. But I was like, dude, when I was in, you know, 1990, 91, 92, like, you know, we had 15, 16, 17 year old kids that were squatting four and 500 pounds for multiple reps. I mean, not three or four, I mean, sets of five, 10, 15, and 20. And I mean, that was, you know, pulling five, 600 pound deadlifts. And mm-hmm. like, that was just the norm. And because there was like, you know, not only was George strong, but everybody was training there. Uh, strength is infectious. Like when you see yeah. people do shit like that, like it makes you not, and you know, and that's what always Louis always talked about, that the reason Westside exists where it does is because you're training at Westside. You can't do Westside unless you're at Westside because of the yeah. environment. You watch people do it and the, the fucking camaraderie and the, you know, the fight and the will. And, you know, that's the reason that George trained with a bunch of fucking young kids. Cause he's like, I don't want to train with a bunch of old fuckers. I want young. You know, I want a bunch of young gohards. Young yeah, I want you know, a bunch of young gohards. I mean, part of our deal, even as a young kid, was um, part of your job when you showed up there was uh, you had to rack these weights, which was a sign of respect. The old man doesn't rack his own weights; you rack his weights. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's five, ten kids in there, and like, you know, is calling, "Hey, I want this. Fucking, you know, go get me a, cup, you know, whatever you do. I mean, you're you you are there as uh um you know that's part of the." maturation process. And we run into people all the time that don't understand that shit. I'm like, dude, I understand your history. Well, you're understand in your orange County. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's a good point. though. It's 2016
1: in orange County.
3: Yeah, no. <laughs> it, that, yeah. That upsets me. Um, I get it, dude. No, I mean, it's, 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 uh, uh, you know, and we, we had a great, uh, text i'm pretty upset that fucking we weren't able to get that whole podcast on but we went out we were out in philadelphia this weekend teaching that seminar we stopped in we saw jim Steele and zach came down and hung out and uh we jumped on a podcast and we did what do we talk for like four or five hours i mean but like jim Steele is a fucking amazing human being in terms of like what he does, what, what he done it all came back to this thing like people he the thing that he's noticed over the years and you know we've noticed it too is people just don't want it the same way like, you know, like, what do you mean? Like, yeah, I mean, in fact, when I was 14 years old, I was so excited that George invited me over because he didn't invite everybody. You had to be, like, invited. And I remember uh, before I went, the night before I got to go the first time, there was a mirror. We had a full, length mirror by our front door. And I remember squatting and mim- and doing my movements in the mirror, can yeah. tell you this, so that I wouldn't look bad. I get it. Right? Like, I was like, oh, I want to squat deep. I want to squat this and all these things. And then all of a sudden, you know, you figure, like, here, you get over there under load, and it looks like dog shit. Yeah, I mean, it's a shit that, and, fucking and, and that and kids I,
1: should be doing instead of flicking, I don't
3: know, fuck it,
1: what, what are we, you know. But
3: do they, and then I also told him the funny story about, uh, we went, George called me, we went up to Marathon and he, uh, up in the uh, uh, Pencil Center and he hands me this box. And I'm like, he like hands it over, he's like, here, what is it? He's like, uh, don't ask, but what I want you to do is I want you to take uh, five teaspoons five times a day. Of of this stuff, and uh, let me know how you do. And I was like, all right. So I leave there, and uh, my brother like drove me up there. And um, he's, I was like, George says we have to take five teaspoons of this five times a day. And he's like, that's what he said. I'm like, yeah. He's like, all right. So we, it's creatine, right? Um, so this is the brand new supplement. Nobody's ever heard of creatine. I'm like 15 years old. My brother Eddie's like, no, I was 14. My brother Eddie was like 17, so he was driving. And so we, we get it, and we go home, and we're like, he's like, mix it with uh, grape juice. So we go buy grape juice, we put it in five. Um, you're only supposed. To, we took uh, twenty five grams of creatine five times a day. So twenty five <laughs> grams. We're supposed to take one, you know, five yeah. grams over a course of a day. Uh, <laughs> so so you, Dr. Tom did. So huh? oh, totally. So I don't know if anybody's ever taken too much creatine, but it causes terrible fucking stomach problems. Yeah. Like so, then my brother and I are taking it, and he's like, uh, like. He goes to work, comes back. We're going to go train, and we're at the track. And uh, as we're running, like shooting pains, I'm laying on the ground, and my brother, and he's screaming at me. I think it's working. It's it's fucking, dude. This is what we have to fucking go through. I'm like, I can't fucking do it. Somehow we finish this run. Get home, and I call George. I'm like, George, I can't take this stuff. I'm fucking, you know, it's like somebody's knifing me in the stomach, and he's like, whoa, 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 how much did you take? I told him, I'm like, he told me to take five teaspoons five times a day, and he's like, no, one teaspoon five times <laughs> 10. And uh, he's like, Jesus Christ. And so it's pretty funny. We pushed the ethical out there. And uh, yeah, that was a funny George comment. And then, of course, it's like, what do you think? He just kind of was like, <clears throat> on me. <the>, the- <laughs> yeah. That's just fucking gruff. I mean, dude, I remember uh, uh, George uh, uh, stopped by the high school and saw me. I'm like, what happened? He's like, I was just up in the Peninsula Center and some dude got in with the cop and the cop was wrestling him. And I went over there and put my 45 in his fucking head. Oh, yeah, there you go. That's one yeah, way to like, like That was like a classic, like, you know, military. I mean, dude, yeah, I love that crazy old man. So, dude, thank you very much for uh, uh, saving that equipment. And I'll, dude, I will come up and check it out. And, uh, we yes. Sh- we should get those guys on podcast because Sam… We uh, need to. Yeah, Sam's great. I mean, he was always such a very nice, well-spoken dude. Like, just… Yeah. Yeah, whenever I see him. So, yeah, thank you. Take me down memory lane.
4: And by the way, I saw him pull 440 for it was either three or five reps. He was 69 at the time
3: wow that's right sam. Hey, by
4: the way the guy the guy weighs 160 pounds
3: yeah sam was always really strong and in really good yeah, yeah he, he yeah he's right he's got to be in his 70s yeah he's 73 now 74.
1: well that's let's Drew, right. and julian I'll, I'll connect with you offline and we'll make something happen we'll get something scheduled yeah we'd love uh, you to need you need Joe's stories
4: and and he wants to talk about it there's just nobody he's left nobody no, he, knows the guy he's talking about that's why he was talking to me so much because i knew who he was talking about because i well that's the, uh, you know that's the history of the game you, you have to know those nobody knows who pat casey is anymore
3: well the uh, and, george george would always talk about these guys but about shit it would be about six seven years ago i i get a, uh, a gift in the mail and it's from zach kevin <laughs> and it was uh dr ken lace Lassing, or uh Dr. Ken, I forget it's Lasinger or Lassinger. but Dr. Ken basically went back and and uh, had copies of all the old Powerlifting oh, USA yeah, yeah. Girl. Old articles. Yeah, it's
4: Lessinger. I have I have the books.
3: Oh, yeah. So he he basically printed them out and he sent it to like Zach Windler and a couple people. Well, Zach ended up making me a copy and sending it, and then we ended up scanning it, and it's part of our in our coaches curriculum. But it's it's all of like the uh, the stories about box squatting and peanuts and all the guys yep. on the side. And then I remember when it, I got it. I called George, and I remember he was uh, still fucking salty at Louis for calling his gym Westside. And you know, like these. But two-
4: you know what, Joe is not even upset at it anymore. Like even Joe was like, yeah, that's okay." But the one thing Joe said was he never met Louis. Yeah. Louis said he met, he trained there.
3: Joe doesn't remember him. Yeah. The um, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. Because yeah. It but. Yeah, it's uh, it was cool. Like talk, like I remember, uh, like Odie Wilson. Uh, you know stories yep. about Kaz Meyer. I mean, dude, the fact that like George always told us that Kaz had a uh, had his truck rigged up, where, or his uh, Cadillac. He'd go around a big Cadillac all day. Had his uh, trunk turned into a refrigerator, and he had like this refrigeration deal, like AC hooked up, and he uh, had a blender wired in. And every time he went on a call or whatever he was doing, working, he would stop. And he would have like protein powder and all this shit. And he would make it this trunk and he would slam a, a, a drink and um, pretty funny story. But he goes, he just basically, uh, anytime he stopped his car, he got a protein shake. And anytime he got back in the car, he got a protein shake. And I was like, how many protein shakes do you have? He's like, he'd have like you know, 15 or 20 a day on top of his other meals. And he's like, he was eating probably like 20,000 calories a day. I mean, it's like, no fucking way, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's like, you know, but then you, you look at those pictures of Kaz. Whereas, oh, like, through his ears, I mean, he did take more drugs than any human being on the planet, but so did everybody. So, I mean, it's like, yeah, I, I don't really. It's know, still bigger than every other guy. Uh, yeah, by a mile. Well, I, I remember when I met Kaz, um, the one thing that tripped me out, I've only seen this on a couple people. So, like, on, on the wrist this way, Kaz's wrist goes from his thumb here. Like, it doesn't yeah. go this way. It just is like a full block in his hand. Mm-hmm. And I've only seen that on, like, two or three football players. But do you, do you
4: remember like the the picture for the world's strongest man when Bill Kazmaier was lifting stuff his back was full from the shoulder all the way to the insertion yeah there, there was it was just one block all the way down the obliques would merge into the insertion all the way to the shoulder bodybuilders don't have that
3: yeah the yeah the uh, bodybuilders uh, aren't like that yeah his insertion was so low that it was like the lat insertion was connecting to like the uh, the erectors almost <laughs> but I, I remember crazy. The uh, the best compliment that George ever paid anybody, and I and we we've talked about this, was that uh, the goal was to have uh, erectors and hamstrings that looked, or to have hamstrings that looked like steel cables, and then to have erectors that looked like two loaves of French bread on the back. George used to always talk about that. He'd always come up behind <laughs> you and grab right there and be like, "They gotta look like French loaf, like loaves of French bread." <laughs> and uh, so, whenever people always ask him, like, "Oh, you know, what should I develop?" and I'm like. That's good. I mean, if you look like you got two loaves of French bread, I mean, that's that. That was like the huge compliment for Zangus. So, no, he was a good dude. I, um, I'm sad. I'm I'm sad that I don't get to meet him and uh, or uh, talk to him as I used to. And and um, and I'm sad we didn't get him on film. I'm sad that we didn't record something like this and really get like a, a historical reference. Because like you said yeah. man, the guys are passing away and their knowledge and the stories are unfucking believable.
4: And what I want people to see also is the way they train because. You realize that periodization doesn't seem to matter nearly as much as the atmosphere of your gym. Yeah. Because the West Side, the original West Side was that. Was a bunch of really strong guys that did their own thing, but in one place and they all push each other like crazy.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: They yeah. train two days a week at the original West Side, they were training two days a week. That's it that's crazy like you, you hear the stuff and you go but how and those are the guy who squatted 600 for 30, so it's always interesting to me because he reminds me not to get stuck too much into uh the x and o's
3: yeah 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 no i mean well the um uh, you know george always talked about that uh, inherent periodization and like you know something we really adopted in our training i mean you know when george originally uh i remember the first training program he ever handed me uh, instead of telling me, because I asked him, like, "Well, hey, you know, I, I, you know, what should I do in this?" and he wrote down it was the Russian squat routine, six by two of the six by six. And I remember being like, "Well, what if I can't squat the six by 6 And he was like, "Well, you obviously went started too heavy." And we went through all the discussion. But then I was like, "Well, how come when we go over to your house, we don't do this?" And he's like, "Well, he goes, I usually watch people warm up, and then I start calling yep. out the reps based on what I want you to do that day." Yep. And. uh You know, and, like, the ultimate insult at George's place, and I told this guy's too, was as you were warming up or hitting some weights, he's like, why don't you take the the weight off and just go light and have a form day? (laughs) And, like, that was, like, the ultimate... I've been there with Sam. Yeah. Uh, By the way, he was right
4: every time. I was like, no, I feel great.
3: And then... No, I didn't. Well, well the, the the ultimate kick in the nuts when I asked George once about it and he's like, you you know how you get good at lifting heavy weights? Or and I was like, I don't know. He's like, you lift heavy weights, so I'm like, then well, why do you tell us to lighten the weight and have a form day? And he kind of just smiled and I was like, oh, I get it. That was the ultimate <laughs> fucking kick in the balls. And literally he would um, you know, I mean it, it, there was a lot of life lessons and a lot of good information and uh yeah, I'm sad that he passed away and and um I'm sad we didn't get more information on But yeah, my brothers and I all went and um, they were sad to see him go. So he was a, a big influence on me. So um, thank you. I, I'm glad to know you're using this equipment and that uh, because dude, they told me it was all gone. So.
4: No, 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 no. I, well, I'm, honestly, I had to fight for it. It wasn't, uh, but he needed money. I was like, I'll come with this cash right now. Wow, damn. So that, but that was Sam, honestly, Sam made it happen. Cause I told Sam, he's like, look, there is no way this is being. You, I needed it at the gym. It was like, let me talk to her. So he, he, you know, I mean, like he worked at it until, and I was like, I'll bring cash right away. And then we like, okay, it has to be today. I was like, well, let's take the car. Let's go. Have a truck. Let's
2: go.
3: Yeah. Yeah. No. They um, because uh, his daughter. Uh, when I had up her daughter, there was a bunch of uh, um, like I had given George like um, you know the different awards that I got in like high school alignment of the year and a bunch of things. And there was a picture of us. And I'd given him things for for the gym. And um, I remember. Like getting one thing and I was like, you know, my belt is still in there with my name on it that he got me and like, you know, there was a bunch of things, and she's like, No, nah, it's all And I was like, shit. So I, I just figured they were bitter and just want, you know, called somebody just to haul it all the way. So I'm glad to know that red safety bar, safety squat is still there. That thing was nasty. But yeah, I mean those um and then uh, like,
4: nasty. I've been using it. This is my this is was the first safety
3: squat bar I've ever had in my life. I used it for how long has it been that, Four years? Uh my daughters were three weeks old when he passed away so he literally probably died almost exactly five years ago it was probably here in october
4: okay so i've been using that safety squat bar for five years that's the only safety squat bar i ever ever use in my life is that one Hmm. so it still works
3: trust me (laughs) oh yeah no well i i found that the original safety squat bar the one that we have like the original hatfield bar is so much better because I've bought and used a bunch of different ones, and the one that I bought we don't even use anymore mm-hmm. because the original one is um, so much, it's just terrible. It's just so much harder. And like for some reason, I don't know what it is about it, but um, it's the same one that Louis has at Westside that all the guys use. I mean, Louis has six or seven or eight, ten different safety squat bars, all these different ones, and they all use the exact same one, which is the original one that they've all had, which is the same. Yeah, it's the way,
4: by the way, it's heavy as
3: shit too. Yeah, it weighs exactly like 66 pounds, and it's, uh, the padding's all fucked up, and the collar, but, Yeah, that didn't get any better. No, (laughs) no, it's fucked up. I mean, it literally, like, like people put it on because it's here. No, that thing bruised you, because for some reason, it was like extra hard on your clavicle, but, uh, yeah, we, But there's we, duct tape on it anyway, still. This is stand duct tape, you had it anyway.
4: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that duct tape, remember that great duct tape is still on it.
3: Oh, yeah, oh, that's, uh, no, that's, it, yeah. No, I mean, there, there was a lot of weird, he had a lot of one-off weird shit that he had, had made or people had given him or whatnot. Like, I, I remember um, he had a, uh, we, we have one, we have a top squat, uh, you know, which is the, the Dave Draper deal. Mm-hmm. But we also, he had uh, the very first or one of the first um, stingrays which was that god-awful thing that you, like that blue thing that snapped on. Do you ever see yeah, that? yeah, 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 yeah,
4: yeah, I didn't buy that, yeah, I saw it, I, yeah. I saw all that stuff, it was that's what I bought the harness, I can't use it, it's horribly made, it textures my legs, but I, I have it, I squatted with it, because I was like, it, okay, I'll try,
3: yeah, no, dude, he, <laughs> he used to have us do, uh, uh, like, um, weighted carries with that, so they would put weights, yes. and you had to walk around. And we we had uh, uh, these dumbbells that were fat grip, like big thick dumbbells, and we had to do like walking up and down the driveway, and you know metabolic condition. Okay. So I mean, but that know. was it was for I couldn't I can't could I
4: couldn't figure out what that thing was for because I was yeah. like you can't squat with it with heavy carries. Yeah, I like yeah.
3: it. Yeah, it it, it was. Uh, but I always thought that it was weird because the load was in a funky place. Yes, very. Yeah, like I always like like the one like the Chuck Volger. Yeah, bowl, it like, takes
4: you back completely.
3: Yeah, yeah that, this no like pulls you forward and well,
4: uh, I put it the other way I turn it around because I couldn't like I hated going forward so I put yeah. it the other way
3: well I, I always thought that uh you know George had a bunch of things like you um he hated the deadlift like that was a big thing for him he uh, he said you treat the deadlift like a pretty girl you ignore it and you build the deadlift through the squat I mean you build the deadlift through uh um every motion other than the deadlift and like and then I was thinking about like all the stupid shit we had was all designed to like not deadlift or to train deadlift you would love <laughs> yeah, it It sounds great I'm yeah like, a- you're like fuck this deadlifting thing but like it was like it was a weird deal like we would like have these like three hour squat workouts and then we would pull like three reps on the deadlift. Oh. it was fucking weird he'd be like we'll pull that deadlift just once i'm like you want to warm up he's like no we just squatted through fine go we'll fucking pull it. and we pull one one two three you'd be like, you're done too much deadlift. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. I, it was great. Oh shit, man! I, I didn't even know we were going on memory lane. So I'm sure I all these people. There you so go, man, dude. But uh, Julian, yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah, man. Thank another you.
1: small world, right?
3: Yeah, thank you for yep. connecting, dude, I'm really stoked that we got to add you to our little sphere of influence. And, uh, dude, I will definitely come up to the gym, and uh, we can bullshit a little bit and go to lunch. And, uh, and uh, yeah, man, I'd love to try to get some of these guys on, and we could wrap with them or am up and record. For well, sure. Videos.
4: You have to tell me when because I'm traveling the world. So i will be in I the know. states. Like four weeks out of the year, maybe.
3: Oh, really? Okay. Well, right now,
4: yeah. What? I'm booked till July, so. Oh,
3: 2017. two thousand seventeen? Mm-hmm. Oh wow. Well, we'll try to make it happen then. point we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll, when, when you're in town, so we'll, we'll shoot an email and let me know what your schedule looks like, and we'll make it work. Yep.
1: Uh Julian. Yeah. If, if people want to get more of you, where do they go? What, what site? What Facebook? What? Uh, what do you want to get people? In, Instagram. StrongFit One. Yeah. Go on strongfit.com. And then go down I'm, the I'm out there.
4: Okay, yeah, so I'm, I'm out there. there, man.
1: Awesome. Again, just echoing John, appreciate the time. You are a big fan, much like a, a lot of our guests. And it's it's awesome to sit and chat, man. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. All right. Cool. See you later. George.
0: Bye-bye. You Bye, guys. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Find Julian Pinot on Instagram under the name at strongfit1, that's the number one. Or visit his website for seminar info, www.strongfit.com. This year's Power Athlete Symposium is now open to the public for the first time. If you haven't heard of this annual knowledge fest, it's basically the most badass three days spent in SoCal. Rub elbows with fellow power athletes and soak up the wisdom from guest speakers like Rob Wolf, Andy Stumpf, Aaron Ausmus, and Brad Snyder. Of course, you can expect that the power athlete crew will also be leading the weekend with the latest and greatest out of HQ. Registration can be found at powerathletehq.com backslash symposium, and it closes on November 23rd. Hope to see everyone there. Until next time, bye!